Hello, and welcome to Manifestor Academy for Entrepreneurs with Michelle Anderson. If you are curious about how to manifest the life and business of your dreams, you're in the right spot. I will be sharing interviews, tips, tricks, stories, and anything I can think of by lifting up the hood on my own experience and my own businesses, including my coaching practice, about how you can manifest your dream life and business I hope you enjoy it. If you want to learn more, you can always go to michelleanderson.com. That's Michelle with two L's and Anderson with an S-E-N at the end. Okay, cool. So I've got a really fun guest today for Manifestor Academy for Entrepreneurs. Uh, Damon Sweeney is joining us and I'm really excited to share something that we, I, I actually got to experience a workshop that he's going to talk about today. So how about if I allow you, Damon, to tell the audience a little bit about what you've been up to these days? Well, these days stretches back through my whole life because I kind of always been doing the same thing, um, but it doesn't get old. Uh, what I've been doing is figuring out how people can rewire their neural networks. You know, that's how I say it now. But um, you know, I had to figure that out because as a teenager, I was in uh, a lot of emotional trouble and it was either figure something out or not make it. So. I've just been doing that ever since. I started out with Zen meditation. Well, I started out with mindfulness before I ever heard of it. Um, and then Zen meditation and Sufi and Tibetan Buddhist. And, and so I've been studying consciousness basically all my life. And what I've arrived at, and then I did EFT for 10 years, uh, tapping, you know, uh, acupressure points. And then I came to the limit of that. And I realized that I still had a lot of problems or patterns, deep patterns that had to be addressed somehow. And I finally figured out that that was implicit learning, which is the kind of learning that where you get language, uh, it just soaks in. So we all get a lot of that. And so I started asking why I was teaching classes at the time. And I started asking, why is it hard for people to change? Why is it hard to change? Why should it be hard to change? You know, if you have a bad habit, why couldn't you just say, well, I'm going to eat healthy, you know, or I'm going to just stop smoking and, and just do it if you know that that's a better thing to do. But we don't do it that way, do we? So I started asking, why is it hard to change? And then um, I, it's like one day I walked through a landscape into a whole new understanding of how people work. And that's what I've been doing ever since. That was in 2010. And uh, so I came across some neuroscience discoveries of how to rewire neural networks. And I realized that it fit perfectly with what I'd been practicing for years, what I'd been doing for years, and kind of working my way toward um, many of the methods I developed already used the neuroscience, but, but now I had a model. And then with the model of the neuroscience and with some other insights I had uh, about why it's hard to change, um, I've developed this whole new approach that I call neuromastery. And um, it's, it's, really efficient, easy, effective ways of rewiring your brain out of whatever stuck patterns it's in. I just came up with the term brain ruts today. So it's how to get out of your brain ruts. 
I love the brain ruts because I too became curious about like, how do you really change? And I loved when you started explaining this to me because I had tried several modalities and many of them worked, um, but to an extent. And I, as a coach, always was looking for ways for myself and to tell my clients to help. Um, what do you think that neuromastery is able to do that you weren't able to find before? What it does is, or what it enables you to do, me to do, anyone to do, is to address those, those implicit learnings. So the, the beliefs and so on, the fears you've developed that you don't even know you have. So all of us, I think, are hardwired as human beings to acquire what I call settings. We're, we're born into a family, into a culture, into a physical environment, and we, um, okay, so just like we have physiological settings, homeostasis, you know, for food and water and temperature and rest and so on. And we get outside of those, we, we get uncomfortable and we move back toward the center, right? We get something to drink or we cool off or warm up or whatever it is. So that's physical homeostasis. But we also have mental, emotional, social homeostasis. And that's what I refer to as these settings. So um, I'm hearing some clicking on your end. I don't know what that is. I heard um, it a little bit too. Okay. Um, so, so we learn to integrate with our family and our culture, you know, and that's a smart thing to do. You know, we, we take on the language, take on the beliefs, the customs, the standards, the morals, what's forbidden, what's expected, what our role is, how to think about ourselves. Are we smart or strong or stupid or weak or helpless or competent? And, and accepted or respected or not rejected, all those things, thousands of things that we have too many to even name. So we learn all those things implicitly. And because of my personal history, I had a lot of them that were really, really had me closed down, really shut down, really blocked. And it was very frustrating. So that's what I couldn't get to with everything else I tried. I mean, I did, I did pretty advanced um, meditation techniques. You know, I was one teacher, Tibetan Buddhist teacher was asked in a class I was in, well, what's after this? And he said, nothing, there's nothing after this. This is it, right? So, um, so I've been exposed to it. I'm certainly not saying I mastered it or I got it, but I was exposed to it at least. And, um, but, <clears throat> you know, in all that training, all that teaching, all those years of meditation, there is still something missing. It wasn't addressing me. It was like for, it was like for other people, right? So I had to figure it out for myself. And so what I figured out is that it is this implicit learning, the inner blocks. And so what's special about neuromastery is that it allows you to approach those through almost any avenue, just a vague physical feeling or, a, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, or any kind of um, reaction that you have. Uh, Okay, so here's, here's a way that we go into it. We go into it through the felt sense, okay? So that's another thing to explain. The felt sense was discovered by Eugene Genlin, uh, who was a professor at the University of Chicago in the 70s and 80s. And uh, he has a little book out called Focusing that explains this. I don't even know if it's still in print. But the felt sense is the physical sense inside you that you have inside your body when you think of anything. So if I say, think of your mother and, and pay attention to how that feels inside your body, you've got 
a certain set of feelings. Now, if I say, think of your father, it's a completely different set, right? And if I say, think of your dog, you know, if you have a dog, if you don't have a dog, it doesn't matter. If I say, think of standing on a cold beach barefoot, there's a certain feeling inside you. I'm not talking about the sensory stuff, it's inside. And if I talk about, um, you know, having, uh, going inside where there's a fire and some hot chocolate. Okay, so each of those is a different felt sense. And I could, anything I could name, you would have a felt sense about. I call that the, the uh, emotional operating system. The emotional operating system because it's pre-conscious and it's pre-verbal and yet it's, it's operating out of the unconscious, which is thousands of times faster than the conscious mind. And it's what's sorting out everything, all your experiences that are coming in into safe, unsafe, safely ignored, and so on. So by tuning into the felt sense, we can access the reactions that we're actually having to things, even though our mind will say, well, that's just normal or that's okay. You know, like I had one person and I do a meditation class here in my office on Tuesday evenings. And I had one person who I knew was extremely tense. You know, you could just tell by the way she held her body and everything. And she said, oh, I, I, I'm relaxed, you know. So that became normal for her. And then we did the meditation. She says, oh, wow, I had no idea it was so tense, you know, just by her tuning into her actual body sense, which she basically ignored. So what it does, to answer your question, is it neuromastery gives you avenues in to the reaction patterns that you have established that you can't get to with just your mind alone. Now that makes sense to me because I've done work trying to unravel and you just kind of mentioned this woman who didn't even realize she was really tense. Um, what would be something stuck that someone's experiencing that, that this would be great for? Well, for your uh, audience of entrepreneurs and manifestors, it would be, uh, you know, I, uh, it's easy for me to be successful. So you can just, so this is like what I call a challenge statement. So you just listen inside for what comes up. You say, it's easy for me to be successful. You just listen, it comes up right away. And either it'll be, yeah, you know, like Mark Cuban would say, yeah, you know, no problem. Um, somebody else might say, eh, no, it's, you know, it's hard. So that's, uh, that's a setting, that's a belief, that's an attitude right there. And that's something that we can change. And tell us more about if someone kind of, you were explaining how it's something that you feel in your body. So is it a belief and something that's kind of ingrained? Talk more about that. Like how does that statement live within you? Yeah. Well, there are kind of two levels. There's the conscious mind and there's the body, you know, which is the whole system. You know, it's not really, we're not cut off with the neck, but, um, we do have these two operating systems. So, you know, scientists say that we, you know, our conscious mind is something like 5% or even less of our total resources. So 95% plus of what's going on is not conscious. Okay. And that's the part that runs your body and gets you through life without you having to think about it. Right. So it's learned a lot of things. If you think of all those things, like even how to walk, you know, it takes years to learn how to walk, right. Or a year anyway or more and um, you know use a knife and fork and speak a language speak your native language you know without 
any consideration about it, just blab away. So that takes a lot of resources. Um, the advantage of having it on that level is that it's really fast. You don't have to think about it, it's automated, okay? But then there are these situations that are not automated and that's when uh, your, your internal emotional operating system, your, you know, all the stuff that's automatic says, hey, we can't handle this, you know, we need some executive input, okay, figure it out. So our, our conscious mind is very slow, relatively, it can only pay attention to one thing at a time effectively. And, um, but it has this creative potential, creative, creative powers of looking at all the possibilities and thinking of something new. So, um, so we have the, so I'm talking about the, the, the two levels. So on the unconscious or the, I'll say out of conscious, because it's not unconscious, it's perfectly conscious in its own right but out of our conscious awareness um, operating system, that's automated, okay? So it's automated. It just goes from trigger to response, trigger, response, trigger, response, trigger, response, trigger, response. And, you know, the more often you do something, the faster the response gets. So um, the nerves actually develop, you know, they conduct electricity faster and the neural networks get stronger and stronger. So, that part can get down to where it feels hardwired. It's not really, but it feels hardwired. And it used to be thought that it was, you know, once you'd had an intense experience, especially an emotionally intense experience, that it was hardwired, it could never change. Okay, so then we have the words on top of it that express a belief, say like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm unworthy, or it's not safe to be successful. Okay, that's a fairly common one. It's not safe to be successful. So if you say that and you get a kind of a yes or an agreement, then that means that your unconscious wiring is set up that way, that it's not safe to be successful. And you won't do things that are not safe. You know, your system will not allow you to do things that are not safe. So by saying those words and accessing the, the built-in response, then we've opened up a channel by, you know, we've, we've connected to the felt sense. If you feel like what it, you know, what does success feel like in your body? If it's like, yay, woo, whoopee, then you're good. Um, but if it's like, uh, you know, if it's contracted, then, then you're going to have a harder time. You have to push through that, right? And that can take a long time or forever. So by accessing that with the conscious mind, then we've, then we're getting into memory reconsolidation, which is the neuroscience that really underlies this. So when you activate a neural network, like it's safe to be successful or it's unsafe to be successful, either one, you've activated it and then you interrupt it. There are four steps. So activate, interrupt. By interrupting it, you, which is not hard to do, just by thinking about it in a different way and tuning into the felt sense, you've already interrupted it. Then the brain opens up for new learning, right? You say, oh, something new is going on here, right? What is it? And if you put in new learning at that point that, that the brain can absorb and, and that can't just be, well, forget about it being unsafe. It really is safe. You know, that, that doesn't work. It has to be more, more visceral. If you put in new learning, that's the third phase, activate, interrupt, relearn, and then reconsolidate is the fourth stage. And that's when you just check back and forth and kind of like saving and closing the file. So all this is like opening a file on a computer and 
So activate is like finding the file and bringing it up. Uh, interrupt is like clicking something so you can edit it, right? So it becomes open for change. And then the relearning is like you're, you're actually editing it. So uh, an easy way to think about this, is we're taking the fight or flight reactivity out of the neural network. So you take all the fight or flight reactivity out and then uh, the reconsolidation is just like saving and closing the file, putting it back in a stable form and putting it back on the shelf where it can operate automatically again. So once you've taken the fight or flight out of the pattern, then, then you, you're different. You've actually rewired your neural network right then. And it, and it, can only it may only take a few minutes. Now you've packaged this up into a workshop and um, you have a couple of workshops that you, you know, do this in. Is, is that correct that your get over your X is using the same? It uses the same, um, it uses the same model, but what's different about them is that there are different issues. And so you approach them in a different way. And I, I have a, a bunch of methods and I stack them differently mm -hmm. and depending on the circumstances. So, so in the get over your X or anyone now, it's getoveryourxnow.com. Um, but look in the link. There's a, there's a look in the notes. No notes. There's going to be a link there. Um, we start with whether you're willing to get over this person. Right? Because <laughs> right? it's often mixed, right? Sure. People are unwilling to let go of the anger, for instance. Right. right? Or it's the only, you know, even though it's, feels terrible. It's the only thing they have left. So they're holding on to that. So, um, so we start with, start with that. Are you willing to, you know, and then we work through that and then we go on through stage after stage, actually nine stages. Um, we do in this four hour workshop and by the end of it, it's like, wow, you know, yeah, that happened. Well, <laughs> <laughs> now, when you told me about this workshop title, I liked it immediately and I left because um, I actually in intentionally did some work to get over an X because I could tell that it was distracting me from my business. Um, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about like a couple reasons why people like that workshop or why they would want to take it because you're right. Some people don't want to get over their ex. They don't want to, or they feel like it's hopeless because they've tried and tried and it hasn't worked because it's in that implicit learning and, or um, they think it'll be too painful. So they just want to avoid it and suppress it. That's what you know we usually do in this culture. Um, so those are several reasons to not do it, but why you might want to is that just what you said, it interferes with your life. You know, if mm -hmm. you have, if you have these patterns that of fear or disrespect or anger or disappointment or um, betrayal uh, or disconnection, uh, arguing, fighting, you have those all become expectations and projections onto any new possible relationship or onto your life, and um, they take up a lot of neural real estate. That's one thing that could be better used, it's lost opportunity. And then if you're projecting fear and disconnection and, and disappointment and anger on, on future relationships and on your life in general, obviously that's gonna be closed down. Mm -hmm. I kind of separate all feelings into closed down and expanded, contracted and expanded. Because I was just thinking about, you know, how do these things work? And, and these tools, they move you from contracted states to more expanded states, you know? 
even less fearful is relatively more expanded, right? So that's what happens. So we get, and, and think, of, think of the basic safety move, it's pulling in, right? If there's a, you know, a dog or a fire or something sharp or, you know, dangerous, we pull in, right? To be smaller. And we do that socially as well, you know, and the ultimate is like going comatose, right? Going unconscious and we even do that. And then those get stuck. Those become like a standard level. Like this woman I talked about who was so anxious or, you know, she, you know, I don't know her life story, but I'm sure she'd been exposed to lots of situations where, you know, she became anxious and that just became normal for her. And, um, and so we do that. So we develop a certain closed attitude toward life and we all do that. There's no, there's no way to escape that. So then you can deliberately take charge and expand that. So, only when you're expansive can you really see the opportunities and take advantage of them and move forward freely. Because one of the things, you can think of it all as being about fight or flight. And fight or flight is uh, obviously a very old reaction. And it's good for, for dealing with physical emergencies, right? It's really great for running away from a tiger or trying to fight it off. Um, and that's what it's intended for. For, and it's intended to last for a few seconds or a few minutes and then go away and we go back to rest and restore, which is the other half of the nervous system. And animals do that. You know, they'll, they'll literally shake off uh, the reaction if they've been chased by something and, and they escape. They just shake it off and then they go back to grazing or whatever. But humans don't do that so easily. So um, when you're in fight or flight, the blood leaves your frontal cortex, like up to 70% of the blood can leave your frontal cortex, which is your higher thinking and, and access to memory and so on, creativity. And your immune system shuts down and your digestive system shuts down. Your um, reproductive system, your sex shuts down. Um, your cell nourishment and restoration and repair shuts down. So all of those things are not needed if you're in a physical emergency, a life or death emergency. Yeah. Because either you're not going to make it, none of it matters anyway, or you do make it, and then all those things can come back online. But in the meantime, they all take energy, and all your energy gets pushed into your big muscles, you know, for fight or flight. Um, but we go around in a state of low-level or relatively high-level fight or flight all the time. That's what we've um, arrived at in our culture. And so we go around in a relatively contracted, shut down, non-creative state that's afraid of things, right? So, and then we push against it though, because we have this tendency to want to expand and grow and be, live at our potential. That's our paradox as human beings. So what this is, is a way of undoing those limits. Those, the, it's kind of like an electric dog fence, you know, those invisible dog fences, you know, where we just, we run up against something and, and we get near it and we just back away and we don't even know that we're backing away from it, right? You just don't go there. I love that description. Um, and I think about how people do that a lot. Uh, I actually talk to a lot of people who want to change and then I watch them decide not to. And um, that made me think of that. Exactly, exactly. Now- well, There's even another piece, let me tell you this. This, is, this, was, this was a big insight for me. So when I was asking myself, why is it that people have a hard time changing? Um, I thought of, well, okay, thinking of human evolution, and I think in terms of hunters and gatherers, you know, because that's, we're still basically hunters and gatherers, just with a lot more stuff. 
um, why would that be useful to them? Why would it be actually useful and advantage to hunters and gatherers to have patterns be hard to change? And I don't know how many people ask that question, but mostly we just try to get rid of that stuff. But so I turned it around and what I came to is that it was a real cultural advantage. It was a real advantage because the only thing that hunters and gatherers really have going for them is their culture, right? Because they're, you know, we humans, you know, we're not, we don't have thick hides. We don't have big teeth or claws. We're not real fast compared to the things that like to eat us. And so the only thing that kept us safe was knowing how to make tools and weapons and how to act cooperatively and pass on learning and you know how to use fire and eventually how to use language and how to deal with illness and injury and sickness and death and and being under attack you know either by predators or other humans um, and how to deal with uh, difficult times you know when there's not much water or not much food and how to keep the group strong enough to deal with those things, you know, as a unit. Because that, that's the only thing that worked. You know, an isolated human being is not going to last very long, usually. So, so what I got to is that passing all this on is mission critical, both for the, for the group, the hunter-gatherer group, and for the species. And so we pass them on, they become settings, you know, or our nervous systems when we're born are like soft clay and they get pressed into the hardened template of the elder people around us, the adults. And then they set and they become templates for the next generation. And then they set and become templates for the next generation. So it's just like pressing a record, you know, if you remember records. And um, so it's a very beautiful foolproof way of passing on all the learned things that the group has, has acquired through life and death experience over tens of thousands of years that allow it to survive, okay? So you don't wanna just fritter that away. So it's actually hard to change those patterns and that would have been a real advantage. So we have what I also call the status quo maintenance program. So I think it's just hardwired in us. Uh, and I think if people did the right kind of brain scans, they would actually see it activate. So when somebody thinks of doing something that's outside the box for them, something gets activated that pushes them back in, you know, like, Status quo maintenance program, I call it SQUIMP for short. <laughs> so I took your workshop yesterday, the Get Out of Your Own Way, and you speak about the status quo maintenance program, and it made me laugh. I like this name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but not, to give it, not to give it too much power or respect, but it is powerful. When you described it, I could understand what you were talking about and, you know, thinking about my experience and and watching other people react and myself react to limitations that are designed from either these experiences that we have in our lifetime or kind of what we're, what our environment brings. Is that kind of similar to how you might describe that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We absorb them in all kinds of ways. Yeah. But we model them. We take them on from our parents and the people around us and we have our personal traumas. All that. So your get out of your own way workshop really explains your technique of the neuromastery. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, about which? About the workshop or the? Yeah, your workshop. Because um, you've explained the neuromastery a little bit. I think for people to get the full scope, they need to take the workshop, um, which I thought was really great. I went through it yesterday. So tell us about, you know, what that experience is and what that would be like if people took it. Yeah. Well, an insight I had before creating that workshop is that 
Well, for, there's several, but one is that your system will not do something that feels unsafe, right? So for me, uh, completing things got defined as extremely unsafe. Like completing things led to a huge disaster in my life. Um, so I had a hard time completing things. And being visible was very dangerous for me. So just being seen, being visible was, you know, not something I was willing to do. So, um, so those are examples of obstacles toward being successful. I mean, I have a message I want to get out to a lot of people. So obviously those two things are not useful, right? And yet it took me years to make any kind of progress on them. So, so those were uh, settings, right? Don't do these things. And then another, uh, another insight that came to me is that all your neurons are busy. You know, they have jobs. There's nobody just sitting around waiting for something to do. Um, and so when you introduce a new idea that I want to do this, you know, I'm going to make this world-class program and share it with millions of people, you know, your neurons say, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> no. uh, go ahead. <laughs> you know? So you have a little bit of free space in your conscious mind, you know, where you can daydream and imagine and do things, but there's no staying power to it. Right. So how many, how many times have people started something and not completed? Right. You know, I, mean, I have a hard time counting for myself. So, so the realization that your neurons are all busy and that if you're going to do something new, you have to build it in, you have to recruit resources now, and, and your brain will do that. You know, if you, you know, if you lose your eyesight, your, your brain will recruit the resources that used to go into your vision and use them for hearing and other senses and so on. So it's very active in there. So, so what you have to do is build, so kind of the cornerstone, the, the climax that this workshop you're talking about leads up to is what I call the transformative statement. So we spend the first part of it taking away obstacles and fears and so on and identifying what some of those are and as many as we can and just clearing away a lot of junk okay clear away a lot of junk and then and then once we've done that we've kind of opened up a space of possibility and then we introduce the transformative statement which is kind of a new center of gravity that you can use to reorganize recruit and reorganize your your neurons around to build build the um focus stronger and stronger and stronger so that that becomes uh, the thing that you're focused on creating. Now, I should say that the squimp is totally neutral. It is not against you succeeding. It, it, only, it only maintains what's familiar. So it's, it's, it's trainable, it's like an animal. It, it will, if you start doing something and that becomes consistent, it will reinforce you in doing that. So if you do manage to start going to the gym or working out or exercising, or whatever, when you've been a couch potato, it will sustain you in doing that. It's totally neutral. It's not against you. Okay, so some people want to make it into an enemy, and it's not. But you have to know its ways because it'll kill you. You know, it'll keep you smoking or drinking or whatever until you're dead. Um, but it'll also help you move forward if you just learn its ways. So that's a lot of a lot of what neuromastery is about is learning how to work with the squimp. And in the program, it's as you saw, it's a, a whole series of methods that that work with that with changing it. So then you have this transformative statement and you use that which embodies your goal. And it, um, it both activates the neural networks that are uh, against what, whatever it is you will set as your goal. 
and then it recruits them into accomplishing that goal. So that's kind of the crux. And then it has to be repeated, you know, to be most effective, you have to like repeat that. So I have a transformative statement and every time I use it, it's like, I refocus. It's like, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing. And it's stronger every time. It's like more neurons, more neurons, more like, yes. You know, you can almost get a little obsessive about it. In fact, I did. So I had to back off a little bit. I was like waking up and thinking about it all night long. It's like, yes, yes, yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you want to live a normal life too, to some degree. But, um, so anyway, it's a way of um, refocusing and um, refocusing your, your resources, your inner resources, and recruiting more and more of them to that. And as you do, you get you know, new ideas, new connections, new, new ways forward, and so on. So it's, uh, it's deliberately moving from what I call your um, operating system 1.0 to 2.0. So operating system 1.0 is the one you're born with out of the box, you know, where you acquire your settings and you just repeat them until you die, right? 2.0 is where you deliberately take charge of what your settings are and you deliberately remodel them into what would actually serve you at your highest level. And it's remarkable how easy it is to do. Like it's, I brought a topic and I went through it as I was watching it and I thought, well, you know, this is, this is very basic and simple and I'm just sitting here in my chair doing your technique, writing some things down and I could see the results as you go through the process because you're writing different things about the topic that you brought. So I could see within the span of about 15 minutes how I was thinking differently about something that I wanted to let go of basically. So um, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing how fast it is, really. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm still amazed. You know, I ask people to do this thing, and and they go through these huge transformations. I'm like, I'm wondering, you know, is this going to work? You know, sometimes, but it it does. Um, the only time it doesn't work is when people refuse to do it. You know, um, <laughs> that's right. And there are a few people who do. You know, because I don't know why. Um, I have my ideas, but yeah, it's remarkable how fast it is, and. So that brings in another topic, um, which is continuity. So I'm reading this book, Atomic Habits, which lays it out really clearly that if you, um, if you increase your capability 1% a day in a year, I forget the exact number, but you've increased it by something like 337%, right? You're th more than three times the level that you started out with. If you decrease 1% a day, start from one, you're down to almost zero by the end of a year. So come up with this line that reality is a lagging indicator of what you've been doing. So That's good. you do stuff, it's like going to the gym, you know, or changing how you eat or anything. The results are not instant, right? In fact, you know, kind of uncomfortable at first, right? But if you keep doing it, then that becomes normal. The squimp takes over and says, oh yeah, okay, now this is what we're doing. And then your results accumulate and accumulate and accumulate over time. And so this taking charge of your neural networks is something you have to keep doing because it'll, it tends to just set at whatever level you are and become the status quo, which then becomes your limit. But if you, if you actually build in that my limits constantly expand, then that becomes 
what the status quo maintenance program maintains. So I've done that. You know, I've been working on changing myself since I was a teenager. And if I'm not changing and growing, I get uncomfortable. I was like, change something, do something. <laughs> you know? um, like, a, like an athlete who's, you know, can't get out on the road or whatever they do, you know, for two or three days, they're going to get really antsy, right? They're going to find something they can do, They'll jump up and down in their hotel room or whatever. Um, so that can become established. And that's the really crucial piece because a lot of people will like do a workshop like that and they'll say, okay, I did it. And then, and then they just like, you know, go back to normal. You know, they, so they have a little burst and then they go back to normal. And that little burst can be really valuable. You can get like tremendous insights and clarity from that. But the higher level value is to keep moving because there's no upper limit. Thank you for sharing that piece of it because um, it's such an important part. And I've watched a lot of people like in coaching world coach once with a person and then sometimes they'll go backwards after that because, you know, they've opened up and expanded their world and that's so scary. They'll pack up and hide even more um, afterwards. So being open to the first round and then diving in for more is kind of what you're saying is the way to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to hear the path I have envisioned? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I've been working toward this for a long time, but it only came clear recently. So there's the, I have the two workshops. There's get over your ex or anyone now. And that's your relationships. And, you know, so that's the inner relationship part. And then there's get out of your own way, which is your external activity. So those are both sort of entry doors, right? They're kind of like, they give you an experience and they move you forward and you learn some tools and you can use them if you want to, but there's no real support in that. So the next level after that is a program I call Resilient You. And I have done this, I've done it in person, I'm gonna do it online. Uh, <clears throat> and Resilient You goes more in depth into teaching the techniques and the model and how to actually use it. And we apply it to a lot of stuff. There are ways of stacking these techniques and getting rid of even more tons of stuff, even faster than what you experienced. Um, so we dump as much crap as possible. Crap is constructed realities according to people. So we dump as much crap as possible, which frees you. you we nat people naturally move into authenticity. They move into higher levels of energy, more freedom, more choice, more creativity, more power, um, more authenticity. And then that's followed by life mastery. Um, which is the ongoing uh, support to continue to apply these tools and other tools as they evolve, because what I do is always evolving, um, in a community of practice so that everybody can move forward together and always have resources. Never, never be stuck. Never be stuck again. Because you can get stuck in some little blind alley that somebody else could come along and say, oh, we'll just do this, you know, and then you're out of it. But people can get in those and just be there forever just because I can't see over the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's my whole path. That's the evolutionary path that, um, that I see. It's the most powerful thing I can imagine to move people forward into living from their highest potential. And my favorite thing about it is it's so accessible. It is. 
Well, I'm really excited that you spoke to the audience today, and I'm going to make sure that they have the links in the details about where to go to your first two workshops that you mentioned. Is there anything else that you want to share with them about connecting with you, where they could find you, or anything else you want to make sure they know about what we spoke about today before we sign off? Well, my website is damonsweeney.com. It's D-A-I-M-O-N-S-W-E-E-N-E-Y.com. And I also do a, I've developed a meditation out of this. Uh, you know, I did, I've done a lot of meditation and <clears throat> the meditation I've created is incredibly simple and likewise powerful. And I have a free Facebook group where you can learn that and do it. And that is, you can find that on Facebook. It's um, the Neuromastery Meditation Practice Community. And I may change the name, but Neuromastery Meditation will find it. And it's a closed group, so you have to ask to get in and answer the questions. I have a couple questions there. Um, and then I'll let you in. And uh, at this point, every Friday morning, I'm doing a live in there and sharing some tidbit. And um, we're practicing. And um, I want to get to where we have, we're doing sprints, kind of, taking that out of the software world, where everybody will focus on the same uh, topic together. So it's like we're meditating together. And um, just doing just doing this meditation five or 10 minutes a day will uh, totally change your life in time. So that's the other way that people can connect. Lovely. Gosh, thank you so much. Well, I'll be sure to look up the group and, and join in there myself. Yeah. I invite everybody to do that. It's free and it's like, it's, it's, um, you know, it's more valuable than most things you can pay for about personal change in my opinion, which is totally humble. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned it and it might really help some people that are listening. So thank you so much for joining us, Damon. And I'm glad that you shared your amazing workshops. Um, and I would love to hear from anyone listening if you check out what Damon has to offer. Um, and if you liked it, because we'll, we'll see if we can have him back if you really like him. So thank you so much, Damon. Thank you, Michelle. It's great okay. talking with you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on the episode today. I'm so glad you were here to give a listen. If you liked it, this is a new podcast right now, so I would really appreciate it if you would give us a review on whatever platform you're listening on, just to let other people know that this is a place where you can learn how to manifest the life and business of your dreams. Also, if you want to find out more, follow us on Instagram. It's Michelle and Anderson with an S-E-N at the end on Instagram and Michelle Anderson. Dot com is the website.